Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health Options show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards still has her tilt belt on, building away, hammering and pounding and coding away at the soundhealthportal.com, which I highly recommend checking out, soundhealthportal.com, and then click on services. In there, you'll find campaigns for various free software that you can run your vocal print through, meaning a voice recording. You submit two 45-second recordings, and then the system is set up now for you to record right online through your computer. And I think currently they have PTSD, neuroplasticity, possibly bio-diet. They're always changing the campaigns of the free campaigns that you can submit to the vocal, vocal print. You sign up for a free account. No tracking, no spamming, no anything. You submit those two vocal prints, and usually within a couple of hours to 12 hours, you'll get a report back with all sorts of information, which you can then take to your healthcare practitioner or sit down and read through and go, wow, that's out of balance. That's interesting. I've been working with Sherry long enough that you used to have to, and you still do in some cases, lug around a computer. But the Sound Health Portal is really great because you can just do it right online, and it's really fast. And if you sign up to use it on a regular basis. You can store your records in there. It's it's life-changing for me. It's really great. And you can also go there and use the free nano voice, which is more simple in its analysis, but it's still you can submit recordings and get a report back on yourself. And I use that quite often to check for, let's say, a supplement that I'm adding to my regime. And I'll do a vocal print, a 45-second vocal print, submit it, look at the nano voice report, and then I'll take the supplement, and about 20 or 30 minutes later, I'll take another test with NanoVoice and look and see if there are any spikes or shifts that occur from me adding that supplement. It's helpful just to see what things are doing in your body, like we're going to talk about with Zen Honeycut. Wow! Is that a story? This is the time at which I say, and this is as true as ever, it's an amazing story, that you can find the replay of the show after you hear the outro music. You can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on Sound Health Radio. And right under the flyer for today's show, you'll find a link that'll bring you back to the chat information as well as the description of the show and all the show notes and the replay of the show. Because this is one of those shows, much like Moms Across America, you're going to want to start telling your friends. This is an amazing story. And you'll also be able to go to any of the podcast aggregators, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Dogcatcher, Podcatcher, Pocket Cast, my personal favorite, or iTunes, and search for Sherry Edwards or Talk to Me Guy, all one word. This show will be at the top of the list, usually within an hour or two of the podcast aggregator, sometimes less. It just depends upon the service. They're getting quicker and quicker. Uh, Google Podcasts is coming around quite quite well cross-platform. You can use it on iPhones or Android phones. It's really good. It's really clean and easy to use. I really like Google Podcasts. And I think with that, Zen Honeycutt is first and foremost a mom. She's also an activist, speaker, author, and founding executive director of Moms Across America, a nonprofit national coalition of unstoppable moms with the motto, Empowered Moms, Healthy Kids. Moms Across America has grown rapidly with over 600 leaders that have created 1,000-plus community events in all 50 states and in the first five years of inception. Zen has three boys with allergies and autism symptoms, which greatly improved when they went GMO-free and organic. Known for being unstoppable, Zen makes a practice of going head-to-head with government agencies, big corporations, and anyone who believes that things simply are the way they are and that it's impossible to create change. And she knows from experience that anything is possible. Zen joins us to talk about an amazing discovery when she had the Impossible Burger tested for glyphosate. Welcome, Zen. Thank you so much, Richard, and thank you to all of your listeners. It's great to be here. So there's an obvious question to ask, but I have to, this is a a question which we'll address more at the end. But as I was reviewing all of the materials and reading the, the series of events, which we'll get to in a moment, this thought occurred to me. And we don't need an answer at this moment, but I just want to throw this out and have this in the background. Do you think that the impossible burger 
could be a sign for people to start paying attention to the long-term effects of a monocrop culture in farming, this culture of chemical-based farming, the endless effects of the technological revolution in the DDT school of farming. As I said, we don't need an answer. Well, I certainly hope. Yeah. Okay. I I certainly hope so, though. Yeah, that's sort of that's that's kind of my. I'm. It's a long bumper sticker, but that's kind of my hope that this. Okay, here it is. I mean, this amazing thing that you discovered and started this rabble rousing. I'm fond of the word rabble rousing, which I so think of you and moms across America as being rabble rousers. Really, like, look at this. And I think that this could be a really. PowerPoint moment for people to go, really? In over 9,000 restaurants in America? Well, I don't know that I consider some of the fast food restaurants restaurants. Eateries? Nah, that's not even right. Places that you get fast food. Yes. So it's, yes. you know, Most I just of think that fast food restaurants. Right. That this is really, this just seems like the bat signal on the sky. Like, look, really? You want your kids to go and, okay, so I'll stop. So we'll talk about that more along the way. How did it occur that you chose to have the Impossible Burger tested for glyphosate? We'll get into what it is in a minute, but I really want to start that because that's the foundational thing where you posted this post on your, on your blog about having it tested and it showing positive for glyphosate. How did that happen? Well, as soon as I heard about the Impossible Burger, I was skeptical because the, the, one of the first things I heard was that it's made out of a part of the soy plant that has never been approved for human consumption and that the first time they tried to get it approved, the FDA actually turned them down and that it wasn't until much later when they didn't even get an approval. They actually just got it to be recognized at generally recognized as safe. That's considered grass. So without any, safety studies because what they're saying is that the part of the soy, the heme, it's called, it's called the league hemoglobin soy. It's claimed to be identical to soy heme, which has been consumed for thousands of years. Um, but it actually hasn't. And, and, you know, to quote Michael Hansen of Consumers Report, how could the heme in the Impossible Burger be identical to the heme humans have been consuming for hundreds of thousands of years in meat and other foods if you genetically engineer it, right? So it's genetically yeah. engineered, and, and so it could not have been consumed for hundreds of thousands of years. And so as soon as I heard that, I was, I was very skeptical, skeptical. Then I heard that they were getting into restaurants first. They were tr- not going to go into grocery stores. And that had my spidey senses go up because – to me, that's a very sneaky tactic to get into um, onto consumers' plates without having to label and to identify what's going on with your food. Then I began to hear that people were having allergic reactions. They were, you know, having anaphylactic reactions immediately after eating it. Now, at first, I thought, okay, that could just be a fluke with one person, or it could have been something else. So I didn't put a lot of weight on it. But then I, you know, I slowly over time I heard from that this from more and more people and they got were getting into restaurants and one day I was at the Natural Products Expo West show and there was the impossible burger blatantly being you know advertised and marketed and shown um, as a natural product and that really ticked me off wow. because I knew it was GMO wow. And I knew they were being sneaky about getting into restaurants before, you know, getting into um, grocery stores so that they could avoid packaging. And and so I, they were giving out samples, and I had a sample, and I took it home, froze it, sent it to the the um, directly to the lab, um, and had it tested. And the results came back that it was 11 times higher for glyphosate. Than the Beyond Burger. So to be fair, we also tested a Beyond Burger because um, we just thought that it would make sense to show that's the other most popular, um, you know, vegetarian slash vegan option for burgers today. It's the most popular one, and, and Beyond Burger is in grocery stores, but we tested both, and the the Impossible Burger had 11.3 parts per billion of glyphosate in it, and the Beyond Meat Burger had one part per billion. 
Uh, and one part per billion is clearly, you know, something you could say that's that could just be contamination. It could be in the rain or drift or, you know, irrigation water. Um, but 11.3 parts per billion shows use of you know, GMO ingredients, which are sprayed with glyphosate much more intentionally. And when you look at the ingredients, you can see that the ingredients in the Impossible Burger um, on our on our um, blog, you can see all of the ingredients. It's called GMO Impossible Burger Positive for for Carcinogenic Glyphosate on MomsAcrossAmerica.org. You can see that over 80% of the ingredients in the Impossible Burger could be GMO or sprayed with glyphosate herbicides as a drying agent because that's the way most of those types of crops are uh, harvested. For for instance, sunflower or soy or, um, you know, different types. So methyl cellulose could possibly be from cotton. They are very likely sprayed with glyphosate during the growing process or as a just before harvest. So that's 80% of the ingredients could be GMO or sprayed with glyphosate. And unfortunately, we don't know because they don't label them. And they have very <laughs> cleverly gotten into restaurants where they don't have to label them. Right. And when did... I have to interject this because it, it lit up in my brain and sirens went off. Did I miss the memo that GMOs equals natural? When did natural become GMO? <laughs> what? They don't. How did that happen? Yeah, they what is don't. That? I have bad they words don't. I want to say. <laughs> yes, and the Natural Products Expo West is is not being responsible by promoting, allowing the Impossible Burger to be promoted there. Um, you know, to to be fair, there are a lot of products at the Natural Products Expo West that contain GMOs, uh, and that's a problem in and of itself. But for the Impossible Burger to come out and, you know, pretty much debut at the Natural Products Expo West and to have so much of its, you know, of, of it, the ingredients be potentially GMO and or sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent is, is very concerning. And many groups such as Friends of the Earth and et cetera group and Organic Consumers Association, um, beyond pesticides, many groups have um, come out and said, and Mercola, Natural New, you know, lots of groups have come out and said that this is just not okay. You know, Living Living Maxwell, um, that blog and Sayer G's blog, Green Med, came out and were very vocal that this is this is not a natural product and should not be at the Natural Products Expo West. And I do hope that they will reconsider for next year and consider their policy on all of the products that are there because when you walk into Natural Products Expo West, you are expecting natural, you are expecting organic, non-GMO, you know, food that is healthy for our body. And uh, it's not always so. Well, yeah. That's a whole other rant I want to go on. But I'll just skip over that because it just blows my mind that as you say, you're walking into, you know, the word natural, I'll just stop. It gets bad. So when you posted this, it just uh, it just blows my mind. What happened? I feel like I'm just like an old guy who just woke up in a cave like in a Woody Allen movie and went, what? Natural is now GMO and CRISPR is the thing we do? Really? Okay. Well, I posted it, and it took off in social media. And the surprise was it especially took off in the African-American vegan community. And this is, huh. I believe, primarily because the Impossible Burger is heavily being advertised in Burger King and many fast food restaurants that happen to be in low-income neighborhoods, which happen to have a high population of African Americans. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no um, mystery or it's, it's, it's not a secret anymore that African Americans have a high percentage of diabetes and other health issues, um, African-Americans and actually Hispanics have the highest levels of diabetes and, and multiple health issues, including allergies and, you know, obesity and, you know, different types of health issues. And we believe this is because fast food is so heavily promoted in low-income neighborhoods um, and in their communities. And this Impossible Burger is being touted as a solution for health you know, for as a healthy option 
of course, without saying what's in it on the menu. And what we're seeing in the posts, especially on Instagram and um, you know, through, throughout social media, is that they tried the Impossible Burger and they didn't feel great, but they just thought, oh, maybe it was a fluke. So they tried it again and again, you know, maybe two or three other times. And by the third time, they're saying, I was really sick. I know it was the Impossible Burger and I'm never eating it again. And, and they're mad because this is just another example of corporations or the government trying to push something on them, which is not healthy for their community. It's just a way to, to get money out of their wallet. And this is, you know, clearly low-income communities are the last communities that we should be doing this to, you know, that yeah. anybody, not we, but anybody should be doing this to, you know, trying to promote something which is going to decrease their health, take their money out of their wallet, and then just send them on their way and have them dealing with these health issues. And that, as a mother, really upsets me. I am very upset that there are people out there that are eating the Impossible Burger that are risking their health and their children's health, and there are no warnings that there could be allergic reactions, that they could, you know, um, end up with anaphylactic or diarrhea or vomiting, you know, or other health issues. And and, I, and I'm, this this one was a – this one – was clearly something that we had to do. Like we, we have not, I don't want to say backed off of, but we have not been testing foods as much because many other groups are doing that. And we didn't, we don't feel like it's a, a, a huge focus of our resources. But when this opportunity presented itself, I said, we have to do this because the way that they're going around marketing it is um, in my eyes, very sneaky and um, not in the best interest of the health of our community, you know, especially because there's been reactions to it. So right. it took off and, you know, thousands of people have been sharing it. And then the, the company came back to, they posted an article that said how proud they are of having GMOs in their um, mm. products. We, there was some, there was an unofficial response where there was a person who posted an, like another article as well, where they were very nasty. They were calling us quacks and they were stunningly nasty. I'll I'll say this for you. Yeah. They I was stunned mm-hmm. at how nasty they were. I went to, I went to that link and I went yeah. I thought this was some sort of like you must be kidding. This is an actual company doing this. It was amazing. I'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah. It just blew my mind that they were really it wasn't just that they were countering or saying no no Here's why this is okay. Or, you know, there was none of that kind of spin. It was just a direct attack. Not a word I use often, but I mean, it really was an attack on moms versus just even saying, no, no, here's why this is okay. Or, you know, defending it that way. They just went after moms. It was amazing to me. Yes. And, and they went line after line, line by line to criticize what we had written and to be fair, there were two places where we made corrections on our article because of their criticism. One was we had listed that wheat was one of the ingredients because they had two different uh, ingredients, right? Up until January, they were using wheat in the Impossible Burger. And then I believe because they got into so many restaurants, they had a very high demand for what they were doing. They, they dropped wheat, which they say you know is an allergen, which can be for many people and simply had more of the GMO soy. And so we um, replaced those ingredients on our article. So when you go to our website, you'll see the updated ingredients. And when we did that, we noticed that, wow, 80% of the ingredients could be either GMO or sprayed with glyphosate. So we added that little tidbit in for the consumers to, to you know, discover for themselves as well. And then the other point was one of the um, points that we made about 0.1 parts per billion of glyphosate um, actually destroying gut bacteria. It is one part per million. However, so we corrected that. However, 1.1 parts per billion can actually cause liver and kidney damage and sex hormone changes. So we added the link to that you know, to, to that article as well. And that has been um, very well researched and peer reviewed and is clearly uh, a health risk. And this is something that they are, um, you know, this, they're just, 
ignoring that. It's, it's a Seralini study showing that glyphosate has been shown to alter the gene function of over 4,000 genes in the liver, kidneys, and cause a severe organ damage in rats. So it is, you know, something that is clearly being promoted as being healthy in the marketplace and simply is not. It's, it's simply not. So and, and then... The consumers need to know this. Right. I, I have follow-up questions to that, but I want, I want to follow this timeline for a moment, for a bit yet. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. McCullough jumps in on the Impossible Burger and defending you. I mean, the cascade of yeah, events that, that have occurred here was is amazing, and that's wonderful that he re- he went no what and did his thing. So talk about that. That was amazing that he re- he jumped in so quickly. Yeah. So D- Dr. McCola, I mean, he has a massive reach, and and the people that follow him are very well versed on health, and he supplies you know wonderful supplements to people around the world. Uh, we're just we're so glad that he has the courage to you know to speak up on behalf of our cause and and I didn't see it as much as defending just moms which he he did and he was very generous of him but standing up for for truth and integrity in our food supply and in in the movement and 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 frankly also for media I mean for somebody to attack a, a nonprofit organization that simply sent in a food sample and got test results back and, and to call them quacks and, you know, pathetic or what, you know, whatever other name calling they did um, is really, it's an assault on, on what we can perceive as news and media and the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's an attack on, on our, the public's ability to gather information and to make a decision for themselves. One that's based on fact. I mean, they really are, becoming part of this whole fake news thing when they, when they throw out such name calling like that. And, um, and Mercola, you know, has a longstanding reputation of, of sharing the truth and for having, you know, science, science backing up everything he says and does and, you know, very well researched. And so we're so glad that they came out and said something on our, um, not even not on our behalf, but they came out and, didn't tell us they were going to do this, didn't ask us about it. They just did it, and uh, we appreciate that very much. And then our Organic Consumers Association also shared that article, and they have a huge reach. And um, GMO Free USA came out with something about uh, a petition about the Impossible Burger, and Erin um, Elizabeth, also Health Nut News, shared about the Impossible Burger. So there's many different groups now that are – uh, sharing about it, of, of, of course, I mentioned earlier, Green Med Info and um, Living Maxwell. So very, very glad that it's getting out to the public through this sort of alternate news. You know, it's not on CBS or NBC, um, and I wish it would be, but... Which is uh, amazing, you know, these it's other, not. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because yeah. they'll cover, some of these news stations will cover glyphosate in Cheerios, Right yeah. and yeah. cereal, but they're not covering glyphosate in this Impossible Burger, and it makes me wonder why. You know, what yeah. type of influence do they have over the media, or do they simply not care that this burger is being, you know, offered to people in fast food places across the country as an as an alternative, you know, healthier choice, and uh, people are consuming it and getting sick and it's it's not you know not being recalled it's not being pulled right. off the market it's not yeah. being labeled and one of my favorite uh quotes out of the mercola article or response was the impossible burger is made mostly of genetically engineered soy protein a highly processed ingredient that's not real food i just i want that as a t-shirt <laughs> yeah. that's it's not real food yeah. it's not real food what part of that is hard to understand it's not real food it's a completely created thing. It's like a creature out of a monster movie. Um, and it just blows my it's, mind. It's, that it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. You know, we're just scary. creating we're food. Scary. It's like Soylent Green. We're just making things out of things that shouldn't be what they are and putting it out there. And I, I, for me, one of the things that really hits me about this, I'll call it an incident, is that this was pretty much launched in 9,000 locations across America. 
like, boom, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was mm-hmm. introduced on a shelf and people began to buy it. It was suddenly available, and there was a lot of conversation. There was a restaurant in my town that started serving it. And the first thing is somebody who had been a vegetarian for five years. It was a long time ago, but I was. The, one of the things that they were so proud of is that they finally made a, a, vegeta- a veggie burger that one of the goals that they wanted to have is that it would bleed. It would look like a burger as you ate it, yes. which I just yes. thought is somebody – I'm not now. But when I – the idea of – I think any vegan I know is not looking for something that's bleeding. <laughs> that's not yes. It's not something they're striving for like, yeah, I want a burger that bleeds, man. So that just shows how skewed the idea is that they're trying to make this, as Dr. Mercola is saying, not real food into something that people want to go out and eat because it's a healthy alternative. And it's a not real yeah, food. Well that, that, that really? Misses, they yes, miss the so whole weird. point of why yeah. vegans are not eating <laughs> burgers is because they don't want animals to bleed. And so they don't want their food <laughs> to bleed. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, they're missing the whole point of that. You know, but some, some people are vegan simply for health issues, and it's not about necessarily the well-being of animals. But th- that's a very small percentage of vegans, I think. I think most vegans are, do care about animal welfare. And that's one thing that really bothered me is that their, their mission is to transform the global food system this is impossible, impossible Foods' goal, right? It's to transform the global food system, improve public health, and preserve biodiversity with an approach rooted in science, consumer choice, and transparency. And when you look at that, that's also on our blog uh, and Moms Across America, it just really gets me mad because, number one, transform the, transform the food industry They are clearly not doing that by using GMO soy, which is currently 93% of the crops, uh, soy crops in the U.S., and possible foods. They're not transforming the current monocrop agriculture system. They're supporting it. So they they are actually supporting a system that sprays poison on our food and our soil, and it goes into the waterways, and animals and wildlife and fish and humans consume those chemicals in our water supply. It destroys the earthworms in the soil, these, these chemicals, the agrochemicals, and all of the life, the microbes in the soil, decreasing the soil's ability to not only you know, transfer nutrients into the crops, but to absorb water, to, to sequester carbon, to not erode, and it destroys the, the wildlife around it, you know, drifts and all of that. So these agrochemicals are very destructive to our, um, our ecosystem. And by supporting GMO soy, by having it in their crops, they are actually perpetuating the current food system. They are not, they're not transforming it. And, of course, you know, public, improving public health, they are not improving public health by having GMO soy and toxic chemicals in their product. That's just, there's no way to argue that they're improving public health. I suppose if they're looking just at CAFO meat, you know, if somebody, if the alternative is going to be a, um, by CAFO I mean confined animal factory operation where you've got thousands of, you know, cows in one small lot and they're pumping them full of antibiotics and hormones and they're eating GMO soy, with glyphosate in it, it's in their meat and all of that, uh, then I suppose they could say that they are um, improving public health by having people not eat red meat because there's been studies to show that red meat can contribute to health issues. Um, But the testing that I have seen has actually shown way lower levels of glyphosate in red meat. Even even the animals fed CAFO, you know, on CAFOs. Uh, way lower levels of glyphosate in red meat than in in their Impossible Burger. So if you're just looking from a glyphosate standpoint, the Impossible Burger is still more dangerous for public health. Um, And if you're factoring in the red meat issues, issues, I would simply say don't eat red meat as often. It doesn't need to be an everyday occurrence, you know, but don't trade it for food that is genetically modified and, and clearly has higher levels of toxins. 
which have been shown to cause cancer, endocrine disruption, neurotoxicity, and liver disease, right? And then the issue of preserving biodiversity uh, is simply not happening. We could talk for hours just about that, you know, by spraying agrochemicals, they're clearly killing the bees and the beneficial microbes in the soil. And as I mentioned, the earthworms, um, and they're, you know, contributing to toxic cyanobacteria in the water. Because you, we've seen this, like, for instance, in Lake Erie, when Roundup was sprayed around Lake Erie to, per, to prevent weeds, cyanobacteria, which are the people are calling green algae, grows in, in the water, and then they have to spray copper in the water in order to kill off the algae. And copper is a spermicide, gentlemen, on Father's Day. You should know that consuming <laughs> copper will kill off sperm, right? So uh, clearly not helping the, the biodiversity and the environment by using, you know, promoting the use of agrochemicals. And then their claim that their approach is, in, is rooted in science. I would mm. beg to differ about that. We've got plenty of information showing that Monsanto's employees were, uh, you know, ghostwriters of the science, which quote unquote showed that glyphosate is not harmful. And, um, you know, that the, even the EPA that is considering glyphosate to not cause cancer, they're reviewing studies that are industry funded and other agencies such as the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which did find glyphosate to be carcinogenic, they reviewed independent peer reviewed studies. So you've got to wonder what science are they really talking about when they say that their, um, that their products are rooted in science. And then, of course, they clearly threw out consumer choice and transparency when they decided to launch in restaurants where all it says on the menu is Impossible Burger. It does not say their ingredients. It does not give a warning for allergies. And um, it does not, you know, they, they, they're simply not transparent about the ingredients or the health risks. So and this does not fall into their goal no. and their mission of what they're, what they're no. trying to accomplish. Well, and, and there are so many directions I can go, but I, I, I want to also toss into that that there are countries that are saying no to glyphosate, no to Roundup. Yeah, so many, 17 why, now, why, countries. Yeah. Why are those 17 countries? What do those 17 countries know that we don't seem to know, meaning the United States? They must know they're not doing it because they're all vegetarians or, you know, I mean, I mean, they must know something. They must have recognized something in research that says we don't want this in our country. And if you do it, I forget who it is. There are some places where they found it where they've destroyed crops because they find it in it. And they're like, no, we're not even going to produce those crops when we find a trace of glyphosate. No. And yet we're here, you know, now we're spraying it as a desiccant. I mean, I don't know when that trend started, but as to dry out the, the foliage on the plant right before harvest. Yeah, yeah 2012. That started Thank in two, 2012. And, and when you look at the health issues in our children, especially liver disease, you know, children as young as eight years old now are showing up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And according to the um, Liver Foundation, it's, I believe it's either one out of eight or one out of ten Americans now have some form of liver disease. And this skyrocketed over the past 10 years, which is when glyphosate began to be sprayed on crops as a drying agent, as you mentioned, a desiccant. And that means that the farmers go through and spray the crop just before harvest so that they can dry out the entire crop and harvest it in one fell swoop. You know, in the old days, they used to wait for the crop to ripen and they would, they would harvest one part of the field that was ripe and let the wheat they would lay it down and um, it would, it would actually sit overnight. The morning dew would come on it. The wheat would sprout a tiny bit and that process actually would break down some of the gluten in it. And um, now they just spray it with glyphosate herbicides and, and other chemicals I should mention. There are like dicamba and other things that are being sprayed as a drying agent. And uh, what that does is basically kill the plant and it, 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 it kills the nutrients as well, um, but it dries it all out so that they can harvest it all at once and save themselves a few days of time. This practice must stop immediately, and it's already there. Already, already have been calls to stop. And for instance, in Canada, last 
growing season, they actually put out a Keep It Clean campaign. I believe this was in, starting in January or, or last December, uh, asking the farmers in Canada to no longer spray glyphosate as a drying agent on wheat. And this was a result, a direct result, of consumers in Italy saying, we don't want to import wheat from Canada, which is the, their main source of import, uh, for their pasta and pizza and you know wonderful breads uh, with glyphosate on it. So, the, you know the the wheat industry stands to lose millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars or more, um, if they don't stop spraying glyphosate with wheat as a drying agent. And I think more and more wheat farmers are discontinuing that practice. And I hope to see. Um, you know, oats and barley and, you know, every, everyone, you know, there's, it can be sprayed on all different kinds of crops that need to be dried, peas and beans and legumes. And uh, that, that simply needs to stop. And there, there are signs of it going in that direction. There is a facility, an oat facility in either northern U.S. or southern Canada. I, I forget the exact location. It might be North Dakota that no longer accepts oats that are sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent. And they say this is because of quality, because oats that are sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent have shown to have more uh, decreased integrity of the, of the oat. You know, it's like broke, more broken down if they're sprayed with glyphosate. Um, and they're saying it's not because of the, the cancer, you know, causing uh, uh, studies that they say are questionable, right? So, but clearly they have to say that because if they were saying it was for health reasons, then they might be liable, right, for previous health reasons that were associated to with with glyphosate on oats. So they're they're saying it's more of a um, a quality issue. Yeah. So there are signs of that. There's a yeah. There's a beer a beer company in Australia that's accepting barley. That's one you know one batch would be sprayed with glyphosate, and and they're segregating other batches that are not sprayed with glyphosate. So around the world, there is more and more of a sign of that. But, you know, our EPA is really failing us, utterly failing us by saying that glyphosate does not cause cancer and or is not likely to cause cancer. And by not uh, putting out a mandate immediately to stop spraying glyphosate as a drying agent on our crops, uh, that I mean, that is the least that they could do besides yeah, at least, revoking at the least start glyphosate. there. Just reduce some of it. Yeah, and I want to go they, back. They really, they oh, really need to revoke the license of glyphosate, which is the the deadline, the comment period for that is coming up July sixth. It's right around the corner. So we certainly hope all your listeners will go to our Facebook page and click on the link that's at our, the very top. We've pinned the link to the EPA to comment to have them revoke the license of glyphosate entirely. Because clearly it drifts, it, it you know it gets into organic food, it gets into crops that don't aren't intending to have glyphosate in their crop, and it's it's very harmful to our health, so it has to be revoked. And I want to go back for a moment to uh, well, there are two things. One is that thing that you said where in before they started using it as a desiccant, when when wheat was in the field, and it did get mist on it and begin to sprout, just for that brief period that it began to sprout. I believe that it's possible that it bumped up the levels of SOD or superoxide dismutase in it, which aids in the digestion of the, the substance itself. So you've, you've made wheat harder mm. to digest and you've added something on it that's harmful to the microbiome of the gut. Just that cycle. Let's not even talk about animals and nature and runoff and men with low sperm counts because there's not enough estrogen mimickers in the environment already for goodness sakes um mm -hmm. so there's that that you know so that screws up the that side and then from the side of somebody who was in the restaurant business for a long time or or working with people now that i know i live in part of the country that's wineries and brew pubs and the idea that i know a lot of beer people that won't use gmo grains or barley because they have found that it screws up because when you add barley in and you add yeast if you have a grain that has glyphosate on it, it screws up the effects that you want from the yeast and that interaction. So you can't have yeah. that in your, I mean, you can, you find it, you've done testing, I think also on wines, where you find it in that, in that part, but there's a trend 
from the more high-end um, crowd of beer makers and such who are going, well, it's not, you know, our beer is screwed up. It's not working like it used to. What's wrong? And they went back and went, oh, this is what's happening. So now they're trying to find sources for non-sprayed organic. They're going organic because it's improving the quality of their product and making it work as it should. Because if you go back and look at it, they suddenly went, wait, the yeast isn't as active as it was before. And then they traced it back to realizing, I, I don't know that they directly related it to glyphosate, but it makes sense to me that that's probably the issue is you put glyphosate into the mix and you're beginning to kill the yeast, which is a, once you throw yeast something, it's a party. It's like give it sugar and some kind of food and it's good to go. And it was making that not work correctly, which would also affect bread making and all sorts of things in the culinary world. So it makes so much sense. And as I say, that's just, taste and effect that's not even the benefit of drinking a beer or consuming a wine or eating bread that has not been sprayed because then it's that as dr mercola says with the soy not real food (laughs) how do you get nutrition from not real food how is that supposed to happen when you're you're eating something that you think you're that's the really dark side to me is They've produced a product that is being marketed as healthier, better, longevity, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not real food to start with, which leads me really to ask, what would happen if somehow they decided to use non-GMO soy, which means it's a whole food, it is actually food, and it wasn't sprayed? Mm -hmm. Is that even – is there enough – is there not – that's too many double negatives, but I can't help it. That is, is a great not? question. Yeah, that's a great question. So the supply right now may be limited, but they could clearly, they, they could have the influence. They have the influence. They have the ability to tell these farmers, we will buy non-GMO soy from you, you know, one year from now when you're, when, if you switch over to a different crop. We will look at uh, sourcing from other countries. I, I know plenty of farmers who their main job is to, fly to other countries and support farmers in Brazil and, you know, areas in South America to switch over to non-GMO soy. And they are doing it. There, there is a major transition happening to non-GMO soy and non-GMO uh, corn and other crops like that. It's, it's on the rise. Um, even more on the rise is organic. I've talked to, I've visited the, the largest grain distributor in the world in um, con- convent Louisiana, near New Orleans, and I've talked to the grain distributors, the people who run that facility, and what they're saying is actually the largest switch transitioning that they're seeing in their in farmers is not from GMO to non-GMO because they actually still have to use a lot of chemicals. It's actually to organic, and now the even better than organic is the whole conversation and, and concept of switching to rege- regenerative organic agriculture. It's not, it doesn't start, not necessarily may start out as organic. Some regenerative farmers may still use some chemicals as they transition over, but uh, pretty much all regenerative farmers end up being organic because they don't see the need for synthetic chemicals when they have cover crops and they have animals that are, you know, fertilizing their crops naturally and all of that. They're, they're working with the environment and with the system and with animals and plants in a healthy way versus throwing synthetic chemicals and fertilizers on their soil, which really offsets the nature's natural process of um, having the soil produce what it needs in order to grow healthy plants. You know, for instance, I learned that when you put synthetic fertilizers on the soil, uh, that, that level of nitrogen and phosphorus and all that that goes into the soil offsets what the soil and the microbes in the soil would normally produce. And so, you know, it, it, it has the soil be less, um, so not just less productive of, of the nutrients that it normally needs, but it, it, it just becomes depleted. So when farmers see, oh, when they stop using those fertilizers and they use the fertilizer that comes from the chicken that's just, you know, grazing over that land and pooping on that soil, then the soil creates what it needs by itself. It's just like the gut, right? When you destroy the gut bacteria, 
um, and then the overgrowth of bad bacteria happens, you get this offset. Children get, you know, autism symptoms, you know, the irritability because they have inflammation in their gut, inflammation in their brain, and, um, you know, all of that whole system gets offset. Well, the same thing happens in the bacteria when you, when you kill off the beneficial microbes in the soil, when you kill off its ability to produce what it's supposed to produce, you, you throw off the imbalance. Now, when you take all of those synthetic chemicals out and you allow the system to the work, work the way it has for thousands of years, then you restore the soil. And that's why they, they call it regenerative agriculture because you regenerate the soil and it actually produces better quality soil every year that absorbs more water, that sequesters more carbon, that produces higher nutrient food. And that's what's going to transform the food industry, not a GMO monocrop burger and a fast food (laughs) joint. We're going to transform the food industry with regenerative agriculture. And that's why the second article that we put out of this, we asked the question of Impossible Foods and uh, Temasek, which is one of their major funders, if they will go to a regenerative agriculture farm, basically, or, or start a conversation with people like Dr. Zach Bush of Farmers Footprints, who is supporting farmers to transition over from um, conventional and, frankly, from organic too, you know, to regenerative agriculture, which utilizes cover crops instead of, instead of um, you know, spraying in order to kill off all the weeds in between the plants and all of that. It utilizes animals, natural grazing, in order to fertilize. So we hope that they will consider that. And we actually saw an article out where uh, somebody, a farmer sent an invitation to the CEO of Impossible Foods and invited him to come to his regenerative farm. So we are really excited about the possibility of, of them, you know, setting aside their strong stance about GMOs and being open-minded and considering the possibilities of, of being leaders in the, mo- the food movement to shift the, the agriculture system from GMO monocrop, you know, heavily sprayed agrochemical farming to regenerative agriculture, that would transform the, transform the food industry. That would be truly, um, you know, wonderful. It would, it would be of, have, have integrity. It would fulfill on their mission. And it would be an example to other con- uh, co- companies that they can, in fact, um, be leaders in transforming the food industry. That, that would simply be wonderful. That would be my hope is that they would, they would transition to ingredients that are healthier, not only for human beings, but for the planet. Well, and you also, um, I'll say, talk about this quickly, that as a kid, I grew up uh, near the Salinas Valley. And every season when the strawberries were getting ready to be planted, you would see giant areas of the field and rolling hills covered in plastic. And the reason they covered it in plastic is because they injected methyl bromide into the soil, which is highly, it kills pretty much everything. It just kills the entire microbiome of the soil. And the reason that they had to do that, well, years later, when I actually, in the 80s, when I first started ranting into a microphone, I really got into this, just blew my mind, that the reason that they had to do that was because the strawberry plants that they were planting were so immunosuppressed and so stressed out that they could not battle anything. They couldn't survive or be strong in the soil. They weren't being nutrified or supported to be healthy enough to grow in soil so that they had to make basically a neutral growing medium for them to grow into. And it took decades for that eventually, the use of methyl bromide, which was also highly destructive to the ozone layer, uh, to get stopped. And so when you grow plants that are in soil that is healthy and vital and has its own healthy microbiome or its own healthy pathogens and everything that it should, worms wow, worms and everything, mm-hmm. that you produce plants that are stronger and healthier. They, and, and ultimately, the cascade effect is that we eat those healthier, stronger plants, and we become healthy and stronger because it's a full cycle. It's not this, this is why I asked that opening question about the monoculture. This could be a, a sign for us to look at the monoculture concept of plant a crop, 
get as much out of that crop as we possibly can and rinse and repeat, do it again and again. And don't think about, you know, we, we, I'll say that, uh, we shouldn't need, we don't need glyphosate. If we grow healthy food, oh, absolutely. it doesn't need that. It yeah. doesn't need to kill everything on the planet because it's, it's very much along that methylbromide approach where you're saying this plant is so weak, we have to do everything we can from it being attacked, whether it's bugs or things. If a plant is attacked, typically it's because it's weak, not because nature is mean. Well, right, and, and it's weak because historically strawberries have been some of the most highly sprayed with pesticides. And, you know, they, they've, 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 if you go to uh, Pesticide Action Network, they have a whole little chart where you can click on apples and strawberries and berries and different things and see what numbers of different types of pesticides have shown up on those fruits and different foods. And it's, it's very depressing. I have to say it's stunning. It's like 52 on apples and 46 on strawberries or something like that. You know, it's, it's very high numbers. And um, I, I would venture to say that strawberries are actually quite hardy when, and they come back year after year, if you just, you know, let them grow without all of those different pesticides. And I get that there are pests out there and you have to find natural ways to prevent, you know, the pests from getting to them. Um, But, you know, this whole monocrop idea, like you're saying, of, of having thousands of acres of, you know, one type of crop is just not the way nature operates. You know, the, the whole, the way the native Americans planted where they, you have the, um, what was it called? The three sisters, the the three something like that, where it's corn, mm-hmm. squash, and beans. They grow right. them together because you know one one um, gets eliminates weeds, right? The squash because it grows out over the ground. The green beans grow up the corn stalk, and then the corn, of course, you know, um, grows a little bit later on than the the corn beans. So, I mean, than the regular beans. So, crops like that planting with using nature in mind, you know, adding onions into your garden that will keep away pests and marigolds. And there's, you know, many different crops that you can plant that will keep pests away. But this would mean that we would have to revert back to small family farming instead of 5,000 acres of corn or, you know, 500 acres just of strawberries, right? We would have to incorporate a patch of strawberries into a small family farm and a patch of corn and a patch of beans and, you know, squash and all of that. And that's, that cultivates biodiversity. It cultivates higher nutrient quality in the soil and in the food. And this is frankly the way most countries around the world have been feeding their people for thousands of years until Monsanto and Bear and Dow and Syngenta and all of them came along and said, no, 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 wait a second. We have seeds that are better for you for the farmers. Mm. It'll be easier for you to plant. They're coated with neonicotinoids and you can spray toxic chemicals right on the crop and this will be easier for you. So in the name of convenience, we have sacrificed our global health around the world and not just of our citizens, but of our ecosystem. And that ecosystem is hanging by a thread right now. We have climate change issues which are directly connected to toxic chemicals in the water and in the soil that are no longer able to absorb carbon the way they used to because of these higher, you know, the chemicals in the water and in the soil. And it's this, this type of food, Impossible Burgers, using GMO soy is actually contributing to our climate crisis right now, which is enormous. I mean, there are scientists that are saying we have 10 to 15 years left before we have global catastrophic, you know, deaths, frankly, you know, flooding and heat waves and um, all kinds of, you know, weather-related catastrophes, which are predicted to kill, I believe it's 30 million people uh, within a couple decades and eliminate 36, 24 to 36 million homes on the coastline of many countries, and that's per country, like 24 to 36 million homes just in the United States, 24 to 36 million homes just in Japan. You know, countries where that have a lot of homes along the coast are going to be facing uh, catastrophic losses due to climate change. 
And so we cannot be messing around with, with GMO agrochemical crops anymore. We have to transition to regenerative organic farming for the sake of the planet and for the human race and for all of life on the planet. It really is an urgent issue, and um, I, I certainly hope that the CEO of Impossible Foods and all of their funders, all of the stars, you know, that got behind this Jay-Z and Katy Perry and all of the stars, they, they, they see what's really going on here, and they support a true transition to regenerative agriculture. That would be really wonderful. I, I want to move toward a softer note that was really good. I could so jump on. Uh, there's so many areas in there. But I want to also toss in that one of the things about growing a food that's grown in healthy soil by farmers who actually work with the plants, and, it, and I mean mostly you know, hands-on and mixed crops and all this biodiversity and everything, is that when you eat a strawberry that's grown in a, mm, crop, a monster crops, and then you eat a strawberry that's grown by a farmer who grows smaller crops and pays attention and fertilizes and chickens are walking around and it's natural fertilizers and it's clean water and everything. The flavor profile, that's a chefy thing, the flavor profile of an organic, naturally grown strawberry is mind-blowing mm-hmm. when you compare it to a f- big farm, giant egg and I'm not, say, I'm not saying that the big egg couldn't do it, but they just don't because they're producing so much that they have to use every chemical they possibly can to produce that. Whereas when you eat that other strawberry, you get an actual, what they would say, in wine and nose off of it. You get an amazing scent off of it. It's sweet in the palate. Mm-hmm. It's flavorful. It's mind-blowing when you compare it to a strawberry that seems like it's been grown to fit in its square container. Um, That's a great point. And we've heard from our dads that the taste of organic food is the number one reason why they switch to organic, you know, meat, tomatoes, strawberries, peaches. And I invite everybody out there. If you're still, if you still need to go grocery shopping and you're going to bring your dad some food for father's day today, pick up the organic varieties and see how they taste. I mean, you want to buy both of them, do that, but Check the difference of the of an organic tomato and organic uh, peach or apricot versus ones that are not organic. There is a huge difference, and the, the flavor is a major factor for for a lot of consumers. It's a great point. Well, and the same thing with tomatoes. It's really once you've I, I was privileged to have the people who started Earthbound Farms be a produce develop, de- delivery pers- group for me, the founders. I was at the right place at the right time. And they used to bring in, the one of the founders would bring in trays of raspberries that were picked that morning. And they were just so filled with amazing flavor. They were a joy to cook with because they had so much flavor. It made making great food even easier. Once you've had grass-fed meat that's grass-fed, that's a whole other show. Grass-fed is a term, but you have to look a little further to see if it's grass-finished. Because a lot of grass feed, some of the Angus meats are grass fed, but they're finished on grains. And if they're finished on grains, 90% of the time, that's a GMO product. So it means glyphosate, et cetera, et cetera. But once you start eating an yeah. organic style, it's hard to go back because you're like, where's the flavor? You know, more salt is not going to do it. You need to have flavor in your food. And that gives a really wonderful, you know, once you start doing it, it's hard to go back because then you're suddenly going, wait, this used to taste really good. What's wrong here? So there's so many reasons. I I can't believe we're, I can't believe we're here that we've run out of time because there's so many areas that we could go toward. Um, Where can, where would you like to send people for our listening audience? I'll put it in. It's already in the show notes, but where would you like people to find out more information about moms across America and this really amazing event of stories that have occurred from this. I just think it's such a great thing that you did, even though impossible, even even though impossible. I mean, you did such a great job that they attacked you. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I know that's a weird thing, but it really is, you know, within two days they were going out after you and that's, that's congratulations in a weird way. Uh Uh-oh. 
I see Zen just dropped off. Maybe a bad connection. Um, all right. Well, that was a stupendously great show. And you can find more at momsacrossamerica.com. And we'll be back next week. Uh, really, follow, go to the momsacrossamerica.com and go to the blog, and you'll be able to find this thread of articles. It's really it's an amazing story. And with that, everybody have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>